0: Of course they sent David up to be looked at. Perfect, beautiful, doesn't have to use his mouth to talk, David. Why I'm left on Darwin to rot in my extra medium shirt and pasty skin? Well, I'll show them. I'll show them real good.
1: <laughs>
0: Welcome to Re-Engage, <laughs> the podcast where we look back at our favorite episodes at TNG and Look through that lens of how we were when we were young and how that's changed now that we're older. We look at the culture, the acting, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So let's dive right into it. This week's episode is Unnatural Selection. Stardate 4294.8. It aired the week of January 30th, 1989. Greg, I want to go to what happened around then and just check in. How are you doing?
2: Good. How are you doing, man? I'm excited to uh, not be old after watching this episode.
0: <laughs> so tell us what happened around uh, January 30th, 1989. What was what was going on in the worlds?
2: I'll start with a quirky, weird sports fact and then move to something a little bit more historically significant. Uh, but... I, I can only imagine this was at the GM meetings for baseball on January 29th, the day before this episode aired. The game-winning RBI, a statistic that has been around only for about nine years, was retired. Uh, but the ring, they just stopped doing that as an official statistic, although some people still do keep track of it. But the funny part about it is that New York Met Keith Hernandez is the career leader in that stat with 129. And uh, I just like that it, it, Keith Hernandez was... Was good for something.
3: <laughs> that, was Seinfeld he the leader episodes? when it was retired, or is he still the leader?
2: Well, they stopped uh,
3: accounting it, so he's. The, but the, you said some people are still looking it up. As, as an
2: official baseball stat, he's the leader going forward. I love it. I think with game-winning RBIs, I don't know. He's got to run for the money with with uh, uh, David Ortiz and uh, you know probably some some Yankees involved in that as well. I don't <laughs> know. Um, but the second big thing that was happening uh, is basically the end of the Afghanistan-Soviet Union war is happening during this period. Uh, the January 30th, today day uh, that this episode aired, the American embassy in Kabul closes. Uh, and then uh, in a couple of days, the last Soviet Union uh, armored column departs Kabul, uh, you know, never to return. Uh, the, the war officially ends on February 15th, so... You know, a couple of weeks from now, uh, but this is really the, the beginning of the end of of everything we think of about the Cold War. Uh, right. And this directly led to the uh, fall of the Soviet Union uh, and uh, that whole communist bloc breaking up, as well as the rise of the Taliban. Uh, as when Soviet forces leave, all of the U.S. and NATO backed forces are still there and they still got guns. And they fight to get control of, uh, of Afghanistan, which leads to more modern things uh, that have happened, including September 11th and uh, the, uh, the Afghanistan war that it's crazy to think about, but U.S. has been in, you know, it thought of as the Russians having this big uh, 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 bear trap, as they called it, being trapped in Afghanistan. But then the U.S. had been there for 20 years, uh, longer than half uh, of how long the, the Russians were there. So... Very interesting stuff, this period. Uh, I, I love going back into this history because you keep seeing like things that are resonating uh, even today uh, and how history repeats itself.
0: Never get into a land war in Asia. <laughs> <laughs> Kate. Benzini said it best. <laughs> what, uh, what was happening with the, the musics and the songs?
1: So much was happening in pop culture. Uh, number one on the radio was uh, When I'm With You by Sheriff. Uh, And I did not remember this song until I remembered this song. Um, Baby. Oh, yeah. I get chills when I'm with you. I mean, Mm. come the fuck on. That is a classic song.
0: Well, I still don't know the song, so it's always going to be a Kate Yeager song now.
1: Yes, I love that. (laughs) I'll take it. Uh, that song was actually released in Canada in 1983 and didn't hit number one in America until 1989. Even though the band broke up in 1985. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's
0: like um, dog years. Did they get back to... together
2: and tour on that song? They now? didn't. They
1: uh, they had two of the band members had already formed another band and they refused to. <laughs> They're like, fuck you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, Rain Man was still number one at the movies, but released that weekend was the movie Wicked Stepmother, starring Betty Davis and Barbara Carrera. It was the last movie Betty Davis was in, and she withdrew once filming started because of problems with the script, the director, and the way she was being shot. I love that. The way she was being shot. Lots of down light, I bet, <laughs> which is always classy. <laughs> Uh,
2: They were shooting up from below And it was before they had the message on cameras That you're shooting from a low angle You should want to raise it up
1: There it is (laughs) Uh, Lonesome Dove was the number one uh, Miniseries was number one on television Fuck yeah But also uh, Shining Time Station Which was a children's sitcom Starring Didi Kahn and Ringo Starr Debuted on PBS Which introduced Thomas the Tank Engine And friends to America
0: Wow. Wow. And a lot of cool pop stars have been um the voice of Thomas the Engine, including uh Ringo Starr and uh George Carlin.
3: George Carlin. Wow. Well, the, they weren't the voice of the engine though. They were the they were the
0: conductor. The right? narrator. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. They weren't Thomas. Thank you. Hey, it's Thomas important. Is no, it is. No, you're is right. The it's absolutely it, it is important. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, And finally, in Broadway, there was a revival of Born Yesterday, starring Ed Asner and Madeline Kahn as a corrupt junk dealer and his showgirl mistress, and I would pay anything to see that.
0: Hell yeah, Madeline Kahn.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: All right. Well, thanks for culturing us up, Kate. It's always a pleasure. Uh, let's dive into a little bit of director and writer, and then we'll hear from our good friend Eric about some of That's those guest me. stars. Uh, so we had Paul Lynch as the director. Uh, he did Xena, Princess Warrior, Robocop, the TV series, uh, five episodes of DS9, including and five episodes of TNG, uh, The Naked Now, and 11011001, uh, oh, being mind. just two of those five. Uh, so he's got a long list. If you look him up, uh, Paul Lynch has been around for a long time. As uh, I started counting, there was at least a hundred directorial credits this guy's had. So he's uh, legit. Uh, and then we have two writers, uh, John Mason. He did thirteen episodes of TNG, uh, and he did twenty-two episodes of Starman, the TV show. He's actually uncredited writer for uh, Chuck Norris's Code of Silence. Ooh. Um, and if you don't know one, it's you don't know that one. It's the movie poster where he's holding a rocket launcher, and uh, <laughs> it's probably everything the movie poster says it will be. The first
3: <laughs> one, the first one where he was. <laughs>
0: yes, <laughs> uh, and then uh, co-writing with him is Mike Gray, who also wrote exactly thirteen episodes of TNG and exactly twenty-two episodes of Starman. So uh, Mike and John. Uh, I can't prove that they were um, unofficial husbands, <laughs> but I'm going to say that they were. Uh, and those were our writers. He has uh, also, Mike Gray, a lot of stuff. And um, those are the guys who brought us this episode. Let's see what our good friend Eric. Eric, what's, uh, what's what up do you with want these from me? guest stars? I want guest stars from you. Guest well, stars we're really info. only
3: going to discuss one. Because <clears throat> while there are two, the other one we have discussed at length. And while I will do a nice Miles O'Brien love-a-thon with anyone, uh, we'll talk about him when he shows up, I think. Yes. Uh, God bless Cole Meany now and forever. Moving on. Uh, we could talk about Captain Taggart, who uh, you know has a very brief return uh, when uh, Dr. Pulaski wonders, or when they wonder if they can find a uh, copy of do- Dr. Pulaski's right. transporter record. But we've already talked about him. So, uh, Patrick McNamara, we love you. Get the fuck out. Next, I would love to have talked about Captain Talaka, who had that wonderful kind of voiceover scene. You saw that picture of him aged and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But everywhere I looked, he is credited as unknown actor. So who the fuck knows who that is? So I will pay $3.1075 and to the listener who clues me in to that truly fun performance origin, who the fuck is it? I will give you, I think that works out to like 1375. Write in with your answer, and uh, I'll Venmo that shit to you. So other than that, we get to Patricia Smith, who played the aging doctor on Darwin fucking station. We'll, we'll talk about the problematic <laughs> Darwin station later. Um, But we need to, you know, we'll talk about her performance more when we get to her, but I'm here to celebrate her resume briefly as a lifetime actor studio member um, from that period right after the original group theater folks retired. She was badass, tons of TV. She's the person who gives her compact mirror to that fascist fuck Lindbergh in Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, It's a terrific little moment. Um, Oh God, that, you know, great movie, bad biography. You know what I mean? Debbie Reynolds' sister on The Debbie Reynolds Show which lasted one season. Um, she <laughs> recurred as Margaret Hoover, Emily's pal on the Bob Newhart Show, which is the first thing that I remember her doing. Uh, Jack Lemmon won his second Oscar for Save the Tiger, and Patricia played Janet Stoner, his wife, in that one. There's a couple terrific scenes Stoner. Uh, featuring them, and that is a bleak fucking movie if you get the chance to watch it, Save the Tiger. It's funny for a bleak fucking movie in the kind of Harold and Maude type of way, but it, I didn't realize it was directed by the same guy who directed Z, Costa Gavras, Uh, and I didn't uh, realize... No, I'm sorry, that's a different one. That's uh, shit. That's her last movie. Her last movie was Mad City, which I did not realize was directed by Costa Gavras, who directed Z. Do you remember that movie? Uh, It won Best Foreign Language Film in in 1969. It's about a leftist... Uh, who is assassinated and then uh, a reporter that puts together the story of how it happened. And it's based on a movie, or a a real-life assassination in Greece. It's an incredible movie. And then he did Missing with Jack Lemmon and Sissy Spacek. And then this one, Mad City. Do you remember that one with John Travolta and Dustin Hoffman? Mm -hmm. I remember it being a piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, So I want to go back and take a look, because that director has always been super interesting. So anyway... That's Patricia Smith. She's fantastic in this. We'll talk about her later. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You didn't bring up guest star George Baxter. I did not. (laughs) Uh, But I'll bring him up in my special notes here. So George Baxter was the beautiful 12-year-old man that we see. And we'll get into that later. So hold off on that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. his name was David. He's actually uh, not only referenced in my opening monologue, uh, but he was uh, given a character name. And he had lines, all of which were cut Uh, due to budget (laughs) they didn't want to pay him so they cut all of his lines Uh, and i don't know if that's when he became telepathic but certainly they had to lean into that um and speaking of yeah (laughs) speaking of the super children uh in this script also they were supposed to be totally naked uh but when the props showed up in their um the protective thing the cellophane (laughs) was clear they had to uh, scrap that idea.
2: <laughs> you think?
0: Uh, <laughs> There's um, just some
3: bad
2: ideas yeah.
0: going on there. <laughs> so, um,
3: <laughs> Put these kids in bad idea jeans and
0: move on. They take away their lines. Um, so the shuttlecraft that we see, uh, it's not the first shuttlecraft, of course, in the in, in TNG, but it is the first shuttlecraft that's actually given a name, and that's the um, Sakharov. And it's named after a Soviet physicist um, who later became a humanitarian. Um, and uh, Andre Sakharov is his full name. Um, and it, he was an advocate for human rights, which I think is, is pretty great. That's part of his title, because TNG's thing is kind of like a world where advocates for human rights don't need to exist anymore. Um, but of course, in the 80s, they certainly do, and, and still today. Uh, And then one of the big things with the transporter from this episode, and we'll get into the meat of that later, because of this episode, there was a lot of uh, sitting around a table and talking about, okay, what can a transporter do and not do? And we need to put some definite rules down because things are starting to get a little crazy. Uh, So there's just a few of the the special notes. And uh, let's get on to Unnatural Selection. Uh, So we got the plot set up, which is uh, the Enterprise answers a distress call from the USS Lantry only to learn that everyone has died due to old age. Uh, But they don't figure that out right away. They have to have uh, Picard jimmy into the starship uh, and he's able to break in and then they can open up the cameras and the view screens and see did we know they could do old. this
1: this is this, <laughs> this is, is quite new. the like knowledge to just sort of casually drop that we can overtake uh, another computer you know completely. it doesn't
0: casually drop but he sneaks into the captain's uh <laughs> office and <laughs> That's you know, it's true. all very under the table it's like i got i got something that i could do i, I know a guy
3: <laughs> it feels like the next logical step from the end of wrath of khan yeah you know, which which they do, you know, huddled down behind a thing and right. you know, whispering to each other. But it's pretty much vocalized there, too.
0: I love that you brought up uh, Wrath of Khan. I'm not going to lead into it now, but I definitely want to come back to Wrath of Khan. Everybody I'd remember Wrath
3: so of Khan for later. <laughs> I
0: refuse. I refuse. <laughs> uh, and so then they're off to Darwin Station. Um... After they learn, you know, everyone's dead. They go through there. And please, I'm going through chunks of this on this episode, so you just jump in and let me know if I'm glossing over some point.
2: I just want to call out the shot of the captain of the Landry. A uh, lot of growths. I thought there was just an excessive yeah, amount gross. of growths on his face. Excuse me, that would be it. Captain
3: Taggart you're talking about? Yeah. No, that's not Captain Taggart. No, no, no. Captain, no, no, the, no. Uh, the, oh, captain Talaka. Yeah, Talaka. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I think you're mispronouncing it. It was Captain Skintag.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Ooh. Ooh, yeah. He was
3: having a rough time. It was
0: bad. Like, was that? Because nobody else looked like that when they aged. That's just the way he was going to look. Like, he got a preview. Like, oh, man, I'm nasty when I'm old. I'm
3: sorry. I mean, it's unknown actor. He might look like that.
0: Maybe that's why he was unknown actor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's why he was cast. Like, we need you, buddy.
0: <laughs>
3: but he
2: removed his name. <laughs> I don't want to be known as Captain Skintag. I don't Skin want to be tag.
0: known uh all right so unless there's anything else on that we are off from the land tree, uh and they head over to darwin station darwin research station uh where the same thing is happening they get a distress call they go out there uh the same thing is happening it's too late for the adults but the super children could be saved uh and surely something can be done to help the super children. So, I mean, first of all, Eric, you had brought up Darwin Station. So let's crack that open right away. Since now we're at Darwin, I mean, you know, <laughs>
3: we're uh, we're at the point where we we acknowledge certainly that that Darwin. Um, had some problematic views as he was discovering natural selection and moving on the way through there. But his shit has been used both uh, to advance really interesting and and worthwhile shit like the medicines that we have and things like that. But also like it is the favorite target of eugenicists who are trying to build the perfect children. So like they're doing this thing where they're building little Nazi kids. Everybody's okay with this.
0: I don't think anybody's okay. I don't think anybody. I don't Not think just
2: Nazi okay. kids though super powered telekinesis you know telepathy they yeah their 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 bodies have healing powers like wolverine like these are literal superheroes that that they're making and being like we didn't engineer them we created them that makes it better
3: this is like that terrible marvel subplot from a couple years ago where they took professor xavier's brain and stuck it in the red skull's head and that was like the entire marvel universe for like 10 weeks it was the Best thing I've ever read. <laughs> Please <laughs> hire me, Marvel.
2: Yeah, no, I just I think this is just as a weird way. Uh, by the time we get to the end, perhaps the writers were attempting to make an anti-eugenicist statement, uh, but they just gloss over any of the morality of this, and they're just concentrating on the the procedural effects of how to how to reverse this thing for Pulaski, as well as it being a test. For Pulaski, uh, that's basically stated by Picard, being like, "Oh, I can't wait for this to really see if she's worth her sugar." And I'm like, "I don't, I, I think that's a whole weird setup for this entire episode." And then that's that's the through line. They don't get, they don't give a chance to really think about the philosophy of this. Right, thing. and you yeah. brought
0: that up. Um, I was gonna get into that a little bit later, but now that you cracked it, uh, I don't, I, I either disagree with you or I miss the line specifically where he says it. I, I remember the scene with Troy. Because mm-hmm. I have that, like the subplot is both of them um, sort of like sizing up, not, not that they're literally sizing each other up, but the writers are putting them at odds with each other for the obvious reason of bringing them around to each other. Um, and that meeting with Troy, I didn't take it that he was like, she has to prove herself to me. It was more of why don't I, in fact, I thought it was like, he's trying too hard to get to know this person. It's a Mm. big ship and like he's like really like I just don't know who she is. Can you tell me, Troy? Like that was what I got out of it. Like it was a little too soft for Picard. I
1: I definitely got more of Greg's sort of reading off of it, which was that, that Picard was nervous about her, that she was this unknown entity. Will she be able to how will she react under certain situations? And and Troy was very like, No no, she's cool, don't worry about it. Like it's chill.
0: Yeah, do you so, want
3: me to agree with you, Jimmy? To yes, tie it please. Up, or do so want... we
0: can have a tie fight here. I'm tagging oh, you.
3: You know how I hate to agree with Jimmy. I know, but tag. But tag. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I'll agree with Jimmy. What What? what am I agreeing to? Good. Your <laughs> statement again?
0: Yeah, that was I as mean, good it, as it, my it, argument. Yeah.
2: It feels like this was a draft that got pushed, right? And so this was meant to be an earlier episode, and we would have seen them kind of butting heads a little bit earlier. Um, so mm. the, I, I kind of forgive it for that, but it does end up just being this, this, this construct that it, you're like, you're right, it's to- totally set up to be like, well, this is how they're gonna get back together and really you know, build some respect also from the audience's point of view too. Um, I just think it, it lands a little bit late if you're, if you're watching it sequentially like this.
3: I think this is kind of a, a fault of the original format of, of Star Trek, which had kind of grown out of favor with the cool folks by this point. You know the wagon train news story every week we set it up in the first 30 <laughs> seconds in a very kind of awkward way and then we solve that problem and the through line plots don't matter as much and i feel like maybe in a season or two when we start doing the cliffhangers and the longer arcs we're going to see a little bit of that change mm-hmm. but i feel like that's been a, a complaint i've had about a bunch of episodes uh thus far in the series
0: right lot of bottle episodes Uh, All right, so we got... But
3: clumsily handled.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, So we got the Pulaski-Picard set up about, you know, we we now know that there's going to be some kind of reveal about them eventually. Um, We have a great debate. They keep going back and forth about what to do about these kids. Pulaski feels very strong. They need to be brought up. Uh, they find a way to beam one of the kids up uh, in cellophane wrap, proving that Costco's alive and well in the 23rd century. <laughs> uh, and the child appears uh, in every way to be a 12-year-old man. A it's a virul- grown-ass man. That is a grown-ass gorgeous ass man. man. So, Kate,
1: what the Just hell? the fact that it never... Co- okay, so you're like, someone has to save the super children. But they never gave any indication that they were super children until... We get this moment where uh, Wharf even says it's a trick <laughs> because this like, grown-ass right. man, man there, comes out of right? nowhere, and like that fun. it didn't that it didn't occur to anybody on Darwin Station to be like, we're gonna send a twelve-year-old heads up. He's six foot three. He's an Adamus. <laughs>
3: Right.
1: Totally can't talk to you, but he can. Like just that it that that this just totally went over their heads as something like a need to know information nugget.
3: I kind of feel like it had to be bad faith. It's like they sensed they were already a little reticent and they were already saying quarantine the whole place. And so they're like, okay, I'm definitely not talking about all the (laughs) other weird shit. We're just gonna start, can you take the children? I'm gonna keep it at that. Not gonna describe the children.
1: I just want to know also genetically, what, what do they gain by looking like grown ass adults? Like what is the genetic benefit? You would think it would actually like delay their aging process, right? Because that would be... A, a good, but it, it's it's accelerating it in some. I, I, it makes no sense to me.
0: It makes the twelve uh, the sixth grade dance way more interesting. Really,
3: <laughs> I guess. I guess the faster you get to a point where you can physically defend yourself in nature, the the better. Uh,
2: they have uh, them playing with like
1: Legos and blocks and yeah, uh, they're not trained <laughs> yeah. for. It's a not big bad.
2: disconnect for sure because uh-huh. you're like right. you, they, and they constantly refer to them as children. They're not children <laughs> if they' if they're mature and able to defend themselves and they should be you know afforded the same benefits as adults, but right, exactly. the, the, the logical fallacies of what's happening on this station really
3: fall apart really quickly.
0: And yeah, they ask for clothed. a lot of
3: suspension of
0: disbelief, and
3: you know, I'm not inclined to give it to them all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: They're fully clothed when you see them doing all their magic stuff, but they send the kid up in uh, loincloth.
1: Well, because he, his clothes could be carriers. Oh,
0: hey, not, you very. Hey, if I mean, <laughs> very sensible.
2: Maybe it was the clothes all along.
0: It was the clothes. Well, speaking of which, Pulaski runs every test she can think of uh, and can't find anything wrong with the super dude. So she wants the cellophane removed so she can conduct more tests. But of course, Picard very sensibly objects to that. He doesn't want to put his crew uh, in any more danger. So where does Pulaski go? To Geordi, of course. She goes right to Geordi, who very easily and almost instantly comes up with a very brilliant and simple plan. Send them somewhere else and do it. Kate?
1: Uh, I just wanted to highlight that, that argument that they have where Picard has the great line yeah. on the way out the door. It would be nice if you let me finish my sentences once in a while. <laughs> uh, Cause I was n- noting how consistently Pulaski talks to data about bedside manner and she has the worst bedside <laughs> manner of anyone and is constantly just Terrible. harping about how you know superior her, her bedside manner is and it is not i am here to say no
2: i mean look with that scene when she's talking to Jordy uh during uh, loud as a whisper it's like by the way you're gonna die but you should totally do it like i, I feel like she never really is the the voice of calm compassion uh that you that you want in uh medical situations but i love that line too i love that picard's like by the way just let me finish my thoughts once in a while and it has a nice callback later on in the episode
0: it doesn't he has a lot of very british little sides throughout there's one early in the episode where she says something and it was a little sarcastic and he just says like brilliant or uh um (laughs) bollocks (laughs) wonderful lovely or something it's like little one-liners there throughout for picard uh and there's another there's another small
2: thing to that too which i think uh picard's actually a little bit shook by witnessing the old people dying on the lantry like i i think there's that moment in the conference room uh where he goes and looks out the window when they're describing this and it's kind of like oh yeah this is This is uh, Picard emoting that he sees
3: the end of his days and he didn't like it. And I think. And it's so offensive because he's like my age. (laughs) Like, fuck you, whoever wrote that. Like, this dude's not old. Mm. He's got gray hair, sure. He's bald, sure. But come on, Picard. Oh, I am nearing the end. the the misty tunnels light dims before me anyway (laughs)
1: what is this I see before me
0: and scene uh so after talking with Jordy, she has uh she takes it right to Bacard Pulaski does um and immediately she just assumes he's gonna shut her down she's cutting him off uh just like she has been you know more so in this episode than any other one uh and then Bacard cuts her off like Approved, you get to do what you wanna do. Uh, and she's surprised, but a brilliant line they gave Picard is, I recognize you are trying to meet my, uh, my instructions or my conditions, uh, which is a fantastic, I think, um, example of great manager, being a great manager, being a great leader is uh, allowing people freedom, especially when they're following what you said uh, you wanted them to do
2: yeah absolutely I, I like that line as well too and i love that she t- it takes her a moment because she's already fighting uh to kind of realize it and then when she does she's like oh okay and then she immediately leaves go leaves and and then uh disobeys him tricks data into coming with her
0: right
1: i had the same question was data part of that deal
0: he didn't say you can't take anybody else
3: and he doesn't seem mad. That I mean, how there. many writers was he supposed to think of? <laughs>
0: I mean, she... She's you by, can't you know, take any peanut butter. You can't take a <laughs> knife
3: longer than your forearm.
0: Yes. so uh, Pulaski does enlist Data uh, to helping her, but not without some Tin Man jibes along the way. Um, and it doesn't take too long for Pulaski to eat some crow's feet.
1: Well, first, there's that great moment. Because he gets
0: old. Yeah. Yeah,
3: we got yeah. that. Ah, we got I that. like it. I didn't get it. Now I, I get it. I love it, Jimmy.
1: I love uh, slash hate when when he comes out of his cellophane and just immediately, you know, hello. Which, uh, With my, his eyes? My very first thought was, they cut his lines because they didn't want to pay him. <laughs> so I'm glad to find out I was right about that. You
2: absolutely were let's make him telepathic
1: but it's it's interesting it like the the conversation that the two of them have is uh, is more
3: <laughs> eric i'm okay? just so angry at the producers i'm so angry <laughs> that they I, didn't want to can... pay like oh my god We could hear you say that, even though you just changed your facial expressions. Are you telepathic as well? (laughs) I've been told I'm very expressive in the face. I'm
1: trying to figure out, you know, we know so little of Pulaski, um, and uh, whether or not this feels in character or not. Because I'm trying to think of of the the last time when they had to beam aboard um, the. Oh God, what what episode was that where they had to beam aboard the, the sacks of grain and things oh, right. and and you know, whether or not there was gonna be you know and, and she was much more cautious in that episode, whereas in this episode I guess as soon as they say they're children, it's like, Well, for science, gung ho tally ho forth.
2: Well, there's a fan on board too. I mean on Darwin Station. I think she's <laughs> like well, this person like my book, so I That's have true. to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's,
0: yeah. <laughs> she's trying to impress her fans for the Instagram following.
2: <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. I'm not sure either. I th- I feel like this is more, more of a crusher moment, right? The way and like how she reacted yes. with the um uh the episode where they were they were the, the two the drug addict uh uh thing. I feel like uh-huh. that crusher would do that for the human equation, which is basically she was arguing uh, Crusher's position in that, uh, in this episode.
0: Yeah, so Pulaski, uh, she gets she gets the disease, she gets the old person's disease pretty quick. Uh, makes sense; they're in a closed environment, and yeah, she that nice little moment where she she screams and her arm really really hurts from the arthritis. Very uh, good. And we know well, the
3: barometric pressure was dropping. <laughs> we know
0: there's storm she, room <laughs> she's got the disease uh, and you know so there's nothing left to do but for her and Data to head back down to Darwin because Data's unaffected and she's going to die so uh, they head back there to see if they can find any clues and boy do they ever they uh, they find out pretty quickly that the land tree was there and one guy had uh, the Thalusian flu and <laughs>
3: I mean, that's racist, right? <laughs> of course. I mean, we have proved that we can know two things at once. Like, we can know where a disease started and call it something else. And the fact that they say it's a coronavirus means it's a human disease. Like, <laughs> wherever, I don't know. I don't know where Thelousia is
0: Maybe they're human. But if
3: there are Thelousians...
0: I looked it up they're on it right Memory Alpha, upset. and there was they're calling uh, it flu. They're, they're, they, they didn't mention anything about the being a place on Memory Alpha. Just that uh, it had been mentioned before on the uh, very unsuccessful run of Enterprise. One of the characters is trying to duck out of being doing some duty, and the Doctor says Dude he has, has the flu. flu. Oh, it's very so contagious. it's like
3: flu-like symptoms for Major League Baseball. <laughs> It always means hungover.
0: Right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So they find out that uh, a guy uh, from the Lantry who visited had um, Belusian flu. Uh, And from this, the data takes this information, and he's able to do some number crunching, and he finds out that um, it's actually the kids. The kids have the ability to fight off disease, but not only fight it off. We hear from uh, the Darwinian doctor or the, 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 the doctor from uh, station Darwin station that they not only can fight it off but they seek out disease. That somehow their immune system Proactive. seeks out stuff proactively. This, uh, this mechanism they have actually mutated, the disease to protect them, but in doing so, it made this mutation that causes uh, normal, non-sexy human beings to age <laughs> super fast. Uh, and it just ran rapid. I don't know why it killed the the, the, the uh, people on the land tree way faster than it did on Darwin Station, but maybe because we need to have some time with Darwin Station later oh, the in the episode. Device. For sure.
3: My real question happened the next time we saw Pulaski and we get into one of my favorite um, tropes, which is unnecessary age makeup. (laughs) (laughs) And just the fact that, I mean, I first noticed it when um, Patricia uh, Smith showed up the second or third time. And I'm like, look, it's okay if she ages from 60 to 70 and the actress is 65 if you just change her hair or something, like you don't have to give her all of this paint. Like, it's okay. We all look different slowly, by and large. And that and makeup then cost they, me- the lines of that of that poor boy. <laughs> that
2: makeup oh cost it. Oh my God, it's incredible.
3: <laughs> but then they brought out uh, Dr. Pulaski looking like Mark Twain's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ. Yes. Unnecessary age makeup, Hall of Fame. Yes.
1: I have to admit that I remember being excited about this episode... Because I thought we were gonna get rid of Pulaski, and we know that I have a checkered past with Pulaski, right? Like, and I'm still struggling, like, to understand and love her as an adult and and treat her with more kindness. But I clearly remember when when she started to look in unnecessarily old. I was like, "Well, there's no coming back from this bullshit." Uh, <laughs> And then I remember being sorely disappointed. Well,
0: well, Kate. Thank you for the transition, Mob. Back on the ship, Picard is not so easily convinced all is lost. There must be a way to save this doctor that he wasn't even sure could rise to the challenge uh so he puts on his thinking caps he grips everyone together um and they're gonna postulate on what tech they have and how can they use it and what new ways can it be reinvented and redone and re energized and they come up with an idea to use the transporter
2: that's why miles o'brien is there at that conference room table. The,
1: yeah why Who is he knows there more? other than that <laughs> they needed him there
3: well, he proved
2: himself.
0: chief. Earlier in the episode, when they had to uh, bring the the kid on board, and it had to be mm-hmm. very specific, and he he did some things to make sure. Because it was one time, uh, and he got him there, so it was like, this is a guy we go to for transporter stuff. He's our dude. He's the chief. Yeah. He <laughs> comes up with the idea the G-
2: to use the trace. The trace. The I trace.
1: love that they call it
2: that. The trace. the trace. So it's again, it's that same thing from season one where they're like, we have a memory of what you were transported like before. So we're going to use that to reconstitute your DNA when they beam them back. But it's the same being. They still have the same memories and all that stuff. Right? Is that is that the understanding that they just are going to
3: use the copy yeah. again? It's it's reversing the polarity, but for Star Trek.
1: I thought it was like, we're going to create a copy strainer of who you were, and then we're going to run this current thing through this strainer, and whatever yes. doesn't fit through the strainer is the extraneous shit. Yeah. Yeah,
3: and that we're just going to like put in a Ziploc bag, <laughs> fold it over and staple it, and then like stick it in a container of but some but really it's not
2: it's not a filter even though they use the terminology filter but if you think about what the, and this is why they had this conversation if you think about why the transporter <laughs> does it's literally when they when they're when they're rewriting the molecule by molecule they're just going to take out the molecules that the virus changed in every cell of our dna or, or pulaski's dna and replace those molecules with the two things or th- things that would change that would then remove all the DNA changes that the virus did, right? It's uh-huh, it, yeah. right,
1: uh-huh.
2: but the problem with that is
1: <laughs> nothing it's hard to ask. Well,
2: there's many problems, but the, the, why, would it, why would it reverse the aging process if that is the case? Like, why, how, how you just oh, because our DNA the...
3: changes every day. I have brand new DNA as I age, don't you? <laughs> I'm just getting brand
2: new DNA from the store. You still don't look younger, younger. I'm smoking in the morning.
0: Well, the obvious reason, and it's Disappointing that you guys didn't pick up on this. Sorry, (laughs) The hair follicle that they found in her room um, also had unicorn tears on it. And as everyone knows, unicorn tears are able to scrub anything alien, pervasive, or harmful to one's DNA. So they took that... Um, and they used it basically as a mirror, and they compared the two, and the unicorn tears was then, it's like dropping it in, and anywhere it fell on the DNA strain, you know, because it, it has that little helix Let thing. him keep going. So it goes down, uh, and it just scrubbed out all those things, so um, super disappointing that you guys didn't pick up on that, but... I'm it's, older, I've seen more Star Trek. It's also this,
2: the, I, the <laughs> unicorn tears also is why every are in the holodeck secretary too, right? Because that's why all mm-hmm. the holodeck is able to uh, always malfunction because... It's how
0: the Enterprise flies.
3: I just figured it was more that murder stuff like we were talking about with the Prestige and Tesla's hat. So uh, I think we're good. Brand, brand new Pulaski. The old Pulaski has been murderered and uh, we have a brand new Pulaski. <laughs>
1: Speaking of murdering her, uh, I'm, I'm curious when Picard takes over the transporter
0: uh,
1: yes. because it's like, well, if anyone's going to throw her into space, I guess it's going to be me. Is that the,
0: yeah, no, that's absolutely.
1: <laughs> and, and Miles like full on says, thank you, sir. Thank, thank you. Like I yeah. didn't want to have to be responsible. It's like for-
3: when the kid decides to shoot old Yeller, really. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'll do it Dad. Yeller's my dog. Oh, man. And uh, Picard walks up to the, uh, to the transporter. The aging makeup on Old Yeller is also in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I sat there thinking during this that I am Dr. McCoy and Dr. Pulaski because I know that I would be freaked out by the transporter. Like, it'd be one of those things like cars and electric lights and the internet where kids think it's boring and adults who grew up beforehand Like, never stop tiptoeing up onto the platform and like closing your eyes. And like, I would hate being teleported.
2: Yeah.
0: It'd be scary. The
3: rest of my life, I would hate it. I'd be made fun of by all the children.
0: Well, despite how it is. I'm sorry, Kate, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say they
0: do that already. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Well, despite how scared she is of the transporter. And I mean, basically, she's anti transporter. Which yeah. in the twenty third century basically makes her a racist. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll save that one for another episode. Uh, but she's de aged successfully, uh, as are all the adults on Darwin Station. The super children aren't so lucky. Uh, they can't be saved. Um, but <laughs> this brings up a, a fantastic question that they never address: is They seem to have locked the fountain of youth. They have the ability now that the people in the enterprise, they can not only de-age a person, but they can successfully scrub you of a disease. Um, And they don't mention sharing this with anybody else. It's not uh, put into the captain's log. There's not a note about it. Uh, I mean, was this the writers just not realizing how big of a deal this was?
3: I've got it. Yeah. So
0: what happened after
3: this episode? They all got together, like at the end of the thing or sphere, mm-hmm. and they decided that the only safe thing to do with this technology was to forget that it ever existed. So they all got brand new uh, piece of technology that they just tweaked it a little bit, and you go back to your memories before a certain time. Mm-hmm. And that they, they put themselves through the transporter again, and they all looked at each other and said, why would we just
0: go through this transporter?
3: And then it was over.
0: And they didn't bother to look it up. A mystery yeah. they let... Well, then
3: whoever logs Captain Captain's logs back at Starfleet, like, you got to take care of him. But other than that, you're in good shape.
0: Well, this this thing of leaving the superchildren, that's what brings me back to Wrath of Khan. Because this, this immediately when I saw that, I was like, oh, this is like a Wrath of Khan thing. Like, these kids are they're on this planet they could never leave and not because of something they did is because of what these these smart ass doctors did to them and there totally. could be that uh, a nice little you know modern tng rathacon thing which they never followed up on but uh uh you know fun little thing they could have yeah
2: yet yet, yet, yet now yet. that they've got the card going back but i mean isn't it... So doing, just building on that, isn't that the plot of the original series episode that Khan started in? Was that they were doing these genetic experiments and yeah. realized that you know using the, the, the world leaders, right? DNA at the time, right? Isn't Khan like half Julius Caesar and like half, or is that, or is that G.I. Joe?
3: And no, it is that, but I think it's—I don't remember if it's Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan, but it, it, I think it's Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan, Khan, right? Yeah. From,
2: yeah, I think it was also stolen by the GI Joe cartoon and, and created Serpentor. But uh, Serpentor. <laughs> in any case, like <laughs> Cobra, la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> that's what they're setting up here—is this this group of genetically engineered superhumans that are trapped, and they're gonna outlive their their creators. They're super powerful. Is this where the X
0: Men yeah. came from? <laughs> <laughs> from Darwin Station, they escaped. Made it to Earth.
3: Yeah. Well, the X Men, Darwin, was of course unkillable, much like all of these folks were. But they did kill him in that first moment they saw him. Which people that are was always the that about. thing? Like his whole superpowers, I can't be killed. Right.
0: Uh, and this brings us to our final moments of the episode. Uh, they go back to the land tree where they ceremoniously blow it up with a single shot. So the land tree was not in <laughs> good shape or didn't have very good uh, defenses. They could turn uh, that well, There's down. a hole though, about
3: the... two meters wide.
0: Okay. Sorry, what? Star Wars there. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm. uh and it does seem prudent on the service to blow it up because uh you don't want anyone else going in but the question i mean that one they have transponders two couldn't they have just scrubbed the ship and three they have a way to save people even if you do get the disease <laughs> <laughs> so they have the vaccine <laughs> why blow up the ship uh but they do because it was uh, maybe very dramatic and they had budget left over since they cut the kids line now they could uh, they could blow up the ship,
1: <laughs>
0: um, uh, and that's it. They they fly away off to their original destination. Uh, Kate, wonderful, Kate. What did you think about unnatural selection?
1: Unnatural selection. I'm gonna give this five grown Mm. ass men Uh, (laughs) because there are things about this episode that that are nice but i don't know that it fully you know it gets us a little bit more information on pulaski and uh and picard i guess in that we know how hard she was uh gunning for this position so now we know like Mm -hmm. she's there because she wants to be there and wants to work with picard so i suppose that's an interesting little bit but there's just a lot of plot holes in terms of you know the super genetic children and the morality behind that and uh yeah it's it's nice in the middle for me um and, and maybe it's a little bit left over of the disappointment of young Kate that Pulaski <laughs> pulled through at the end of this episode. Oh, I'm trying to love her. I am. I'm trying.
0: It's hard. Eric, what you think?
3: Well, I give it, uh, I think, seven apologies. Like... <laughs> I spent this whole thing just saying, like, fuck you to various writers and <laughs> actors and people involved in making this episode. And I want to just say that I had an awful lot of fun watching this ridiculous thing. Um, and I want to again say, like I said a couple of weeks ago, that I'm trying to meet you guys halfway with what you're intending to do in a genre from a time when realism hadn't yet fucking insinuated itself into every little crack of our tv watching so i hate the racist shit and the eugenicist shit uh that's in this but i i think the rest of it's kind of ridiculously stupid fun
0: great uh
2: i i'm gonna go with six and a half skin tags It is, uh, you know, a generally enjoyable episode, uh, despite all the plot holes uh, and uh, moral quandaries that are just kind of removed uh, from the equation. I do like that this ends up being a, uh, a development point for Picard and Pulaski, uh, although I didn't like the setup necessarily about uh, it being a test for her, but. You can tell that the writers were trying, like, let's you know put these two in conflict and see how they, they get together. I like the line that we talked about about uh, the, um, you know, let me finish my sentence once, once in a while. And then that's called back in the final scene where she cuts him off again. He's trying to give her a compliment and have one of those attaboy moments uh, at the end. And she cuts him off again and says, well, I, I always hated the transporters. I would have been afraid anyway. And you see him just have a resigned kind of smile. And I, I liked that bookending of of this episode it felt very on point for their relationship and how it's gonna uh continue for the rest of the season um but it is uh also got one of the best matte paintings which we didn't get to talk about in the darwin station it looks beautiful and uh that alone means it's a microcosm of like you know they tried they made they made a good piece of entertaining television despite all of the uh the problems once you unpack the logic of the
3: plot
0: yeah, and despite the logic of the plot, I'm going to give it seven and a half exploding land trees. <laughs> uh, and the, the the last thing I
3: wrote was, that's a fun ending for the land tree. Yeah,
0: Yeah, uh, and it's purely because, like I've said before, I love sci-fi, and this was bottom to top sci-fi. The way they got sick with sci-fi, the way they cure themselves with sci-fi, or the jargon that doesn't mean anything about what they could do with the <laughs> transporter. I mean, that is... Sci fi, I love it. It's done better in other ways, other shows that make it more believable. But man, what a great, you know, dip in the toe into let's not just say it works, let's try to make up words as to why it might work. Uh, and they're sort of feel their way in the dark into doing that. I also love the fact that Pulaski never really changes. Um, typically, yeah. it's great to see a character realize something and change, but she never stops being Pulaski. Even after she saved, um, she's still curmudgeon, I'm gonna cut you off. Like She doesn't change that. Um, so it wasn't the cuddly sort of, okay, now I'm gonna be your buddy, uh, ending with those two. Um, and I really dig that they, they didn't switch it up, which would have been sort of that jump up the air and freeze thing uh, that sitcoms do and and they they went away from that so I loved the sci-fi nature of it agree with all the reasons why none of it worked though
2: (laughs) (laughs) also just shout out to a scene in which Riker and Data are rifling through a woman's things and it's not weird
0: right (laughs) or that that was his immediate like he was like let's go to recorders (laughs) hairbrush that's what Data's like (laughs) hairbrush We've I've got been wanting it. to ransack somebody's room for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Always lovely talking uh, TNG with you. Uh, we have so another episode coming up next week, I believe, hosted by the wonderful Kate Yeager. That's me. Uh, but I got to go because I've been drinking this Brett Cezanne and I'm about to wet my pants.
2: My pants are wet from coffee. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, Halen Frequencies are open. Email let's reengage at gmail.com, or you can follow reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengage tng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. Eric Grattan is off social media right now, so email is the best way to ask him a question, but you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. re is edited and mixed by Krista Curry at Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to reengage.